Hello, and welcome to Biblical Breadcrumbs. In this episode, we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I think all of it is kind of what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, it's 10 verses long, which is still probably a little longer than I usually do. Um, but it all goes together in one section. So hopefully this isn't much longer than the 20 minutes it usually is. Uh, but we'll see, because this is 1 Thessalonians, and we haven't been here yet. Welcome to Season 2. This is technically Episode 2. Last time, we talked about um, a, a basic a basic couple of observations going into the book. We read over the entire book of 1 Thessalonians. If you missed it last episode, uh, go check it out. It's It should be uploaded wherever you are seeing this one. You just go to the one before it. And you should be able to find the previous episode just fine. We read through the book and pointed out a couple of things about the Thessalonians, mainly that they are super faithful and very loving and very good. And this is the only church that Paul goes to where Paul just straight up says, you guys are amazing. You guys are great. You're hitting all the right notes. Like, keep doing this. Keep it up and keep doing your work. And maybe what I should have said last time, I forgot to write this down and so I didn't say it, but I have it up there on my noteboard, which is to ask, why is this book written, right? What's the point of this book? What are we supposed to get from this book? So when you look at Matthew, you think about the overall picture of what you would get from that book. You get something like God's authority or Jesus's supremacy or Jesus's uh, emphasis on the kingdom, maybe the emphasis of him being the king, maybe the emphasis on us being subjects, maybe the emphasis is on the kingdom and what the kingdom does, and kingdom work and kingdom life. Something like that, that would be the emphasis of Matthew. When you think about the emphasis of First Thessalonians, I think the emphasis actually is a phrase that comes from chapter 4 in verse 1. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1, take a look at that briefly, and then we'll get into chapter 1. In verse, in chapter 4, in verse 1, Paul says, Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God, as you are doing, do this even more. Or, uh, as some translations say, I think it's the New American Standard. That's the one I study from most often. Excel still more. There's a podcast named that. Uh, it's been going on for a few years now. It's run by Chris Emerson. He's the one who uh, makes that. He's a preacher down in Texas somewhere, if I am not mistaken. I've never actually listened to the podcast, but everyone who has listened to it tells me it's incredible. I've also met the guy. He came and did a gospel meeting for one of the churches I attended uh, when I was in Florida. And so, yeah, uh, definitely go check that out if you're looking for other Bible podcasts. I hear it's very good. I can't personally attest to it, but my wife says it's excellent from what she's heard, and and I hear good reports from everyone else. Um but this phrase, this idea of excel still more, you are doing great, so keep at it and do even more. Let's go to the next step. Let's step. Let's take it to the next level. You are excellent, so let's refine that. You are doing great, so let's further it. And that idea is really going to be the heart of 1 Thessalonians. You're going to see that even today as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's start by reading uh, chapter 1 and verse 1. 
Well, I have a note to say about that, and then we'll read 2 through 10, and we'll get into it uh, for real. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, let's start reading in verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Uh, Apologies if I'm a little bit slow or if I seem a little bit distracted. Uh, I'm doing my notes in a different way to hopefully make this more... Uh, logical and less less kind of running on rabbit trails and tangents, and hopefully this makes it a, a more streamlined process. But I'm not used to it yet, and so we're uh, we're getting into it uh, with a, a fresh a fresh perspective and a fresh way to do this. Verse one is very interesting to me personally, and it speaks it speaks volumes about the character of the Thessalonians because of what's not there. Oftentimes, when when we read through the Bible or when I read something, I try to make a point off of what is there. Look at this detail that's in the text. Look at this thing. It's, it's like, that's very specific in this instance. I wonder what it means, and I'll make a point off of what is there, but this is one of the times where I actually make a point off of what is not there. That is to say, look at what Paul doesn't say, as opposed to what he usually says. What does he say? It's written by Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. Silvanus could also mean Silas. It it is just like an alternate spelling for that name. Paul and Silas, that was... um, Silas was Paul's companion for the second missionary journey that took place in Acts 16, 17, and 18, I believe. Maybe 19 as well, I forget. Um, No, not 19, just, just 16, 17, and 18. Paul and Silas, his companion, as well as Timothy, who's a kid they picked up on the second missionary journey, on the way there, these are the guys in the second missionary journey who are writing, and I believe 1 Thessalonians is supposedly written on the second missionary journey. This is written by Paul and company. I am going to shorthand that to just say Paul wrote this when he says we in verse 2. He's meaning Paul and Silas and Timothy. I'm just going to say Paul did this. Paul did that. Paul said something. Uh, That is shorthand for me. I know that there are multiple writers for this, but it's easier in my head if I just say, you know, it's one of Paul's letters. So Paul wrote it. Um, And that's that's just easier for me. So don't let that throw you off. That's just a forewarning. I'm going to say Paul. Paul is writing this, but notice what he doesn't say. Go to, flip over to Romans chapter 1. I think this, I'm doing this live on camera, so this better pan out. Okay, yes, it does. Uh, Look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. And then a bunch of other things, um, a bunch of other details about him. Verse 7, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called the saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the intro in Romans? Paul, a servant and apostle of God. Look at the intro of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus called the saints, yada, yada, yada. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see his intro in 1 Corinthians, Paul called as an apostle. Look at, verse, uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse 1. 
There's a reason I'm going to go through all of these. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Paul, an apostle. Go to Galatians chapter 1 in verse 1. I am not turning the pages correctly. Excellent. There we go. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you starting to get a pattern? Are you starting to get the pattern of what Paul says? Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you starting to get the pattern of what he says? Philippians 1, 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I could probably say these off the top of my head uh, because they're all basically the same. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, this is the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. But then you get to Thessalonians, and Paul says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. What does Paul not say? What does Paul not say here that he says everywhere else? Everywhere else, Paul says, I am an apostle of God. I am a servant of God. I um, I belong to him. I answer to him. I speak for him. You should listen to me. First and second Thessalonians are the only letters where Paul does not do that. Paul says, I'm Paul, grace to you in peace. And then he goes about his letter, but he does not call in apostolic authority. And he does not call out that he is a servant of God. Why is that? I don't know. Even in 1 Timothy, even when Paul is speaking to a close friend and a dearly loved uh, son, basically adopted son, Paul says, 1 Timothy 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. 2 Timothy 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. When Paul is writing to um, Philemon, chapter 1, verse 1, granted there aren't really chapters in Philemon, when he's in chapter 1, verse 1 of Philemon, he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's writing to one individual. And he's giving himself titles that tie him to Christ. Not so in Thessalonica. Why is that? Because Thessalonica doesn't need it. This is what you're going to see throughout the first chapter. This is why this is important to establish in this, in this first opening uh, bit, is that Thessalonica is great. And Thessalonica's uh, new, and they're they're new at this faith thing. They don't really know what they're doing, right? Theoretically, they haven't had that much exposure to Paul. Definitely not. They haven't been Christians all that long. They haven't been faithful very much time at all. And yet, Paul does not need to speak with authority to them because they already know it. Galatia? 
Yeah, Paul needed authority. Corinth, Paul spent however many years there and needed to use authority, invoking very strong authority. Not so for Thessalonica, because they know who Paul is and because they're already great. Let's see that in action by looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. Let's read all of it, and then I'll try to break it down. There's so much here, but I'll try to be a little bit uh, briefer in my commentary than I usually am. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, no, sorry. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 in verse 2. This is how you know you're getting it live, because I just make mistakes on camera, and uh, it's okay. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 2. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your faith, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report to us, what the kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from this coming wrath. Paul here starts out with the Thessalonians, no apostolicness. No servanthood and no, no declaration of how faithful he is. No declaration of why they should listen to him or anything like that. Paul starts out just, it's, it's just Paul writing to you guys. And he says, I am always thankful for you, making mention of you constantly. He is always thankful for them. He is always mentioning them. Is he mentioning them in his giving of thanks? Maybe. Maybe he is. Probably. Is he mentioning them? Here's the other option. Is he mentioning them in praying for their support, knowing that they need help that he's not able to give them while he's away from them? Are they mentioning him in that, uh, or is he mentioning them so that God supports them and God keeps them well? Unsure. Probably both. Right? This is Paul we're talking about. He cares about these people. He's probably mentioning them for both. We always thank God. We always mention you in our prayers. And we remember the things you did. Namely, verse 3. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 is impressive. We recall in the presence of our God and Father, Paul is saying, I, Paul is saying, right, I promise, like, God knows that I was impressed by this. God knows that I remember this. God knows that you did something that implanted itself on my mind, on our minds, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, but on my mind, that's what Paul says, that you worked a lot. 
Notice what he says in uh, verse 3. He gives three descriptions of work. He says, your work, your labor, your endurance. Three descriptions of effort that they have to spend, right? Of the of the effort, of the work, of the, the, uh, the mental and physical exhaustion they have to reach. He gives three examples of their work, their work, uh, labor, and endurance. He then gives three qualifiers of what that work was and points to different aspects of work that they're doing, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your endurance inspired by hope. Interesting how faith, hope, and love play together. If you've read Paul very much, he'll do this and tie faith, hope, and love together several times, especially in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. Um, I believe that's I believe that's where that's found. Faith, now these three things, faith, hope, and love, abide these three. The greatest of these is love, but all of them go together, faith and hope and love. Paul really likes those three going together, and he puts them here. You guys are working. You're working a lot. Let me describe all of your effort. Let me put qualities to all of your effort, your faith and your hope and your love. And what's it all for? Well, there's one goal. At the end of the day, three descriptions and three qualities, but one goal, which is Jesus Christ. Your hope, your love, your faith, it all is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's the end of verse 3. Your, your endurance inspired by hope in what? In our Lord Jesus Christ. Why are you working? Why are you loving? Why are you being faithful? Why are you hoping? Why are you laboring and enduring everything that you're going through? It's because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he makes it all worth it. The Thessalonians are working a lot, but it's all worth it because of what Jesus is doing for them and what Jesus is doing to them and how Jesus is helping them through it all. Look at verses 4 and 5. And the first part of five, anyway. We know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. Why? Because our gospel came in a powerful way. We know what? We know that you are godly. We know that Thessalonica, we, Paul knows that Thessalonica is faithful. Paul knows that Thessalonica loves God. Paul knows that Thessalonica cares about God's word. Paul knows Thessalonica's heart and the heart of the people there and that these people actually care about God and he sees their godliness. He knows that they are saved. He knows that they are loved by God, that they are chosen by him. That's a really rare thing for Paul to say, by the way, like uh, kick it back to verse one for a second. Paul doesn't mention he's an apostle. He doesn't feel any need to pull any rank to make these people listen to him. And then he goes out, and I was going to say goes out on a limb. He doesn't go out on a limb. He says, we know you're loved by God. We know that he's chosen you. We know all of the work that you're doing and all of the effort that you're putting out, and we see everything wonderful in you. Why do you think Paul doesn't need to pull rank? <laughs> Why do you think Paul doesn't need to inspire them to listen to him better? It's because they will because they are godly, because he's got confidence in them. He's got confidence because of their work, and they can work because he has confidence in them. They show Paul so much good that he is just rejoicing about it. Not 
correcting them. There are no corrections in this chapter. There is no negativity in this chapter. It's all just, you are excellent, excel still more. You are doing great, so do just that little bit better. Thessalonica is godly. We see this in their actions, and we see this in how the gospel came to them. First part of verse 5, our gospel didn't come to you just in word. Paul didn't just speak it, and they just kind of listened to it. The gospel came in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance, three more things. He pairs the number three together again. Power, the Holy Spirit, full assurance. What did that look like? I don't know, <laughs> right? I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I wasn't in Thessalonica. I don't know what that looks like. And yet, uh, I, I expected some form of spiritual gifts and some form of like prophesying or speaking in tongues or whatever, and they saw that and they were able to take part in it because of their faith and because of their work, and they used those gifts for good things. I wasn't there. I didn't get to see it, but that's what I would assume. Thessalonica is godly power, Holy Spirit, full assurance. We see all of these things happening in you all. How do they see it? How does Paul see it? How is Paul so aware of what they've done? Look at the second half of verse 5 and into verse 6. That you, you know how we lived among you for your benefit, and what did you do? You yourselves became imitators of us, of, of Paul, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, of Paul and of the Lord when in spite of severe persecution, you welcome the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. Paul was there in Thessalonica at some point. Paul was there earlier for about three weeks, and then it seems that he just got run off from there and had to go on to Berea and got run out of there by Thessalonians. right? The Thessalonican Jews weren't content to throw Paul out of Thessalonica. They also threw him out of Berea. Paul was in Thessalonica. He was doing great. He was working there. When Paul was there, he got to see how the Thessalonians were doing their own work. We're living like Paul was. We're living like Jesus was. When you get to Romans and you look at the letter of Paul to the Romans it's pretty clear that Paul is writing to Jewish Romans, uh, to, sorry, to Jewish Christians in Rome and Gentile Christians in Rome and saying, you all need to get together and work together because you're brothers and sisters in Christ and you need to work out your differences because Rome is not doing that. Paul is saying, that's not a Christ-like attitude. You need to work on it. When you get to Galatians, Paul is correcting Galatia because Galatia has decided to uh, ditch God and go back to the Old Testament instead of listening to Jesus and following him. And Paul says, what are you doing? Get back to what you were doing. Get back to what you were supposed to do. It's not Christ-like for you to forget who Christ was. When you get to First and Second Corinthians, what a mess. These people are going through so many problems and they have so many issues and you wonder what's going on. What's going on? They're not being Christ-like. They're divided. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. I follow Christ. Why don't you all just follow Christ? <laughs> Why don't you all follow Jesus who sacrificed himself for you? 
when Paul was with Thessalonica, it was different. Because Thessalonica was being like Christ, was being Christ-like, was being faithful. They were living like Paul was living. They were living like Jesus was living. And despite everything that's happening, despite the fact that Paul gets run out of the city, despite the fact that Jason gets grabbed and uh, abused and mistreated in the courts, despite the fact that the Jewish opposition there is extremely strong, despite the fact that the Greek opposition in Thessalonica is just horrific and the the city around them is rotting and decaying in, in its own evil, despite all of those things, the Thessalonican Christians are the ones who actually live like Paul and live like Jesus and give up and sacrifice. You know, maybe there's a lesson there for us. Sometimes the more difficult things are, the better we become. We get soft when things are easy. We only grow up and do what God wants us to do. We only become the type of people God wants us to be in adversity. Just like as as many authors in the Bible uh, say, as gold is put through the furnace, you have to go through trial and adversity and difficulty to be the best servant of God that you can be. Thessalonica is absolutely impressive. Paul was there, and they forsook everything to go and live like Paul. The trouble is happening, and they rejoice in God. Verse 6, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. There's much, there are many problems, and these people are still rejoicing because they get to deal with the problems. That reminds me a lot of Acts chapter 5 in verses 41 and 42, which is, the apostles are put on trial, are beaten, are warned not to speak in the name of Christ, and then they're freed again by the Jews. And the apostles, as they walk out of being beaten, they rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ, and they go out and teach Christ anyway, because that's just what they do. It's, it's, it's a wonderful moment, but it's a wonderful story for us to cling on to and Thessalonica is imitating it. These Christians who got taught by Paul for three weeks and then Paul got run out of the city, these guys with little training, these guys with little understanding, you would think, these guys who are just like a fledgling congregation are imitating Paul, are living like Jesus lived, are living like Paul lived, have the same attitudes that the apostles have, and are giving everything to the Lord. Do you understand? When, when I say this book is about Paul saying, you guys are great, excel still more. Do you, are you starting to understand where I'm getting this from? Look at the character of the Thessalonican Jews. Look at their impact on the world. This is quite possibly my favorite part of this whole chapter. Verses 7 and 8. As a result, as a result, that you're suffering and you're rejoicing anyway, as a result of everything you're going through, as a result of everything, every persecution, every trial, every tribulation you were facing, you became an example to all of the believers in Macedonia, which is northern Greece, and Achaia, or Achaia is sometimes pronounced, that's a more American pronunciation, but I don't know, I like the other one better. Um, Achaia is southern Greece. 
all of Greece knows about what Thessalonica is doing. Little Thessalonica, that evil city that's corrupt and overrun with rampant idolatry and crassness and just immorality, just living in the streets. And look at little Thessalonica and the Christians there who are better Christians than, and yes, I will go ahead and say this, better Christians than anyone else in the entirety of the world at that time. Thessalonica is the church that Paul doesn't complain about. Thessalonica is the church that Paul is thankful for with no asterisks. Paul's thankful for all the churches. He's thankful for everyone's faith. He's glad that they are brothers and sisters in Christ, but there are some massive problems you need to fix. That's the plot of Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. That's the plot of all of those letters, not in Thessalonica. You guys are great. Excel still more. Everyone knows how great you are. The word of the Lord rang forth from you, not only in northern Greece and southern Greece, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Everywhere knows about you guys because of what you've done. The example they are setting is impressive and it's spreading around and it reminds us that examples are seen. Examples are not invisible. Examples are not things that exist that, you know, maybe one or two people will see it. An example is set out for everyone to see. An example of faith, people who are living like Jesus, who are living like the apostles, who are living like Paul or Peter or someone like that, someone who is an example in that way radiates their faith everywhere they touch, everywhere around them, and people notice it. Maybe if people don't notice the faith we're putting off, it's because we're not putting off any. As unfortunate as that is to say, a lot of times that's actually the case. Everyone knows what Thessalonica's done, because Thessalonica is actually being faithful. And when you are actually faithful, you output an example to everywhere around you so that everyone can know that you are faithful, that you follow God, that you are who you say you are. That's a comfort. It's also scary because it requires a lot from us. But look at the results of it. Second half of verse 8, down through verse 10, Paul says, Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves, the people in, in, in uh, throughout all of Greece, Macedonia, and Achaia, they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you. They report where? They report to whom? They're reporting to Paul, evidently. Paul's the one who has this report. They are reporting to Paul what kind of reception Paul had from Thessalonica. Think about that. Think, think about that. Everyone knows, so Paul doesn't have to tell anyone about how well Thessalonica is doing. Firstly, their faith is clearly evident, but Thessalonica, let me read what I've written here. Thessalonica is so well known that everyone talks of them, including telling Paul about how Thessalonica received Paul. When I wrote that out, I stepped back and I said, Wait, that sentence doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't. 
And that's what's so cool about this. Do you think Paul knows how Thessalonica received Paul? Yeah, he does. He was there. He got to see it. He was there firsthand. He already knows. And no one needs to tell him anything about it because he knows. <laughs> he knows exactly how Thessalonica dealt with them, how they talked with them, how they listened to him, what they did and how they lived. He knows all of this stuff. And even though he knows it, every church in Macedonia and Achaia, every church in Greece is telling Paul about how amazing Thessalonica is when they received Paul. They say, Paul, do you remember when you went to Thessalonica? Paul says, yeah, I do. I love that place. And they say, well, let me tell you, they were great because they listened to you so fully and completely. And they lived exactly like you said they should. And they're doing exactly the Christian things that they should be doing. And they are so, so faithful. And Paul's just sitting there nodding the whole time saying, yes, I know. I watched it. I was part of it. I was, I was there. I, I was there. Thessalonica is so well known that nobody can shut up about them, even though Paul knows, even though Paul was, was the origin of the church in Thessalonica, everybody is telling Paul about what Paul did because something amazing has happened here. Something that's happened nowhere else. Something that's only in Thessalonica. There's true faith here. What's so impressive about them, verse 9 they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God, from idols to serve the true and the living God and to wait from his, for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. What's so impressive? Thessalonica, in the midst of a bleak and horrible and dark and evil society, Thessalonica turned and forsook all of that society to become God's people. They turned away from every idol to become loyal to God. They serve God now, not the gods who exist, not all of the Greek and Roman pagan paganity. I'm not sure if that's a word, but we're using it. Not all of the, the horribly pagan Greek and Roman, well, there's a god of door hinges and a god of ants and a god of moss and a god of whatever, and we sacrifice to all of these individual gods, they rejected their lifestyle, they rejected their culture, they rejected their society, they rejected their family, they rejected everything that's ever been, every teaching they've ever had, they rejected all of it so that they could serve God. There are good people who want to serve God even in the worst places. I used to live in Kentucky. That's where I grew up. Pretty conservative area. Went to conservative congregations. Lived there. Good people, right? I went to school in Florida. Pretty conservative area. Uh, I hang up, hung out with a bunch of conservative Christians. Very conservative people and good people. Good people. I like. I like. I really like um, Florida. I really like Kentucky. Maybe not for the weather always, but for the for the people. I live in California now. I moved out to California to uh, do a, a preacher training kind of program. I'm a minister. I'm, I'm working towards 
trying to help people know God. When I came out to California, when I agreed to that, the response I got from ev- from not everyone, but a lot of people in Kentucky and in Florida were, why are you going to California? Why are you going out there? Those people aren't good. It's it's California. It has a reputation. If you're not from America, California has a horrible reputation because of it's terrible cities like San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego. But even those cities have their bright spots. Even those cities have their congregations. And there are some really good things there. And I've been able to do a lot of good here. Probably a lot more good than I would be able to do anywhere else, at least to the stage of life that I'm at. Even in California, there are good people who have been led astray by Satan and follow the idols of the world. Don't forsake those people. There are good people who want to listen to God, who want to know who he is, they just haven't been exposed to him. Anywhere you go. It's not just in the West. It's not just in the East. It's not just in the South if you're in America. It's not just in America if you're somewhere else in the world. No, there are good people right there with you, around you somewhere. People who want to listen to God. If the Thessalonians can reject the entirety of their lifestyle, society, familial dedication, and everything else to come to God. Who can't? Who is unreachable? If Thessalonica is reachable, who is unreachable? Don't forsake people because of where they lived, right? If our uh, In our modern attitude, the church would have stayed in Jerusalem. <laughs> the church would have stayed in... Ephesus. The church would have stayed in the few places that were faithful, but you would have looked at Thessalonica, at Corinth, at Athens, and said, there is no way anyone would ever listen. Well, I know Thessalonica and Corinth had churches in them. I don't know specifically about Athens, but I suspect there was a church there pretty soon after Paul went there. Don't ever write people off, because where they live because of their life circumstances, because of stuff that's going on around them. God's people exist everywhere. People who are good and want to follow God exist everywhere. It's just that some of them don't know it yet. It's our job to make sure that the people who want to know, that the people who are interested, that the people who are open-minded and willing to listen and willing to learn, it's our job to take the word to them. So don't look down on anyone. Thessalonica. You would look at the city of Thessalonica and say, that is a godless, uh, that's a, that's a rude word I shouldn't say, um, that, that is a, a, a God-forsaken area. Yeah, there I said it. Um, you wouldn't want to play in a church there. But Thessalonica is the best group of Christians that existed in the first century. Hands down. Based on what Paul says, hands down. These are the best group that he's worked with. Why there? I don't know. 
but don't give up on people. Briefly before the end, I know that this has ended up being twice as long as a regular episode. Sorry about that. I'll try to keep the future one shorter, but there's no there's no good way to split this up. Not the first chapter anyway. Before we end, I want to just make a couple of comments about true faith. Because this is what you're seeing here. A lot of churches, like Corinth, for example, the church at Corinth declares one thing, they declare they're faithful, and they act like they're faithful, except then they don't. And 1 Corinthians 5, they don't exile that man who was living with his stepmother, mother, uh, mom or stepmom, and doing weird things there. What in the world, Corinth? Corinth didn't understand what the Lord's Supper was about, and everyone was being greedy and uh, shortcutting and taking for themselves and letting their brothers not have anything, and there was a separation. Everyone in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 was uh, claiming to follow after different people, and there were different creeds, and they were just like doing different things and not being united in, in Christ. That's faith, but it's not true faith. It's not full faith. They're not fully understanding things. They're trying-ish. But Thessalonica is the picture of true faith. And I want you to notice just a few things. I have five things written down about true faith and about what true faith does. Firstly, true faith, it stems from Jesus and from the apostles. It stems from their words. I had just yesterday, uh, I had a friend who was asking a question in a uh, in a kind of a group chat kind of thing, asking, wh- where, where do I get this idea from that it's like the Bible alone? Well, it's because true faith stems from Jesus and his apostles. I, I hold to the Bible. I don't hold to man's creed books. I don't hold to man's statements. I don't even hold to man's interpretation of the Bible. I hold to the words of Jesus. And how how can I best understand those? In light of all of my learning, in light of everything that I've studied, in light of all of my thought process, how do I understand those this is what I believe. Jesus and the apostles, they wrote everything down. They engineered everything in the the construction of the books to preserve the words of Jesus. They made things accessible to us nowadays and even passing down through the generations. They're the ones who my faith is founded on. I'm not founded on Luther's words. I'm not founded on Calvin's words. I'm not founded on some great preacher's words, and there are many preachers I respect. I'm not founded on them. I'm founded on what Jesus says. True faith stems from Jesus, stems from the apostles, and that's that. That's the only place that it begins from. Secondly, true faith is noticeable to others, and it also inspires them. Verses 7 through 10, you see that all over the place. The Thessalonians, I don't even need to talked about you guys because everyone's telling me about you and how you dealt with me. That's what Paul says. True faith is noticeable to other people and it inspires them to do better. It inspires them to be more faithful. It inspires them to push harder, to be better, to be more faithful, and to do what's right. True faith is noticeable. If your faith is not noticeable to others, it's probably 
not very good. <laughs> and that's the nicest way I know how to say that. Thirdly, truth faith looks to God in everything. You notice that the Thessalonians went through a lot of persecution, went through a lot of trials, whether it was against the Jews, whether it was against the Gentiles, whether it was against their family or their friends or whatever else was going on. You left the idols of the old world, and you came to follow God and his son, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. True faith looks to God in everything. True faith gives itself to the Lord because the Lord can deal with it. The Lord can help you. And true faith knows that. If you are not looking to God in everything, your faith is not where it should be. Fourthly, true faith thrives in persecution. That sounds really weird, but true faith is what grows under trial, is you get put on trial, you get um, tested, you get uh, uh, tempted, and then your true colors come to the surface, right? True faith is what shows up when everything else goes away. When your back's against the wall, your real personality comes out, and either that's faithful or it's not. The Thessalonians, right, right, the the Corinthians in their dumpster fire of a church, sorry, Corinth, in their dumpster fire of a church, the Corinthians could kind of get away with anything, and so they didn't really have any true faith because they weren't persecuted. They weren't even persecuting the people among themselves. They weren't doing anything to deal with rampant sin in their congregation. They were just letting it go by. And Paul calls them out because their faith isn't good, because they're not being faithful, because they're not being godly. But true faith, such as the Thessalonians have, persecution is through the roof, Jews hate you, Gentiles hate you, everyone hates you, your family hates you, everyone's against you, and they just stick to God even more. They dedicate themselves to God and his son who rescues us from the coming wrath, and they go for it. True faith, it thrives in persecution. You can see others' examples of this, such as Acts chapter 8 is a super famous one. In Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, um, this character named Saul, the original Paul, <laughs> before uh, Paul changed his name, essentially there's a there's a story that goes along with that if you don't know it. Um, Saul, before he was known as Paul, Saul back in the day persecuted the church and destroyed it and and damaged a lot of people, killed them, hurt them, uh, put them in prison, and the church ran from that. They were persecuted, and Acts chapter eight, I think it's verse four. And those who were scattered went abroad preaching the word. Their true colors came out because true faith thrives despite persecution and even because of persecution, true faith goes out and makes an actual difference. Faith stems from Jesus. Faith is noticeable to others. Faith looks to God and everything. Faith thrives in persecution. And fifthly, faith blesses you. Blesses you and everyone around you. True faith is a, a a wonderful blessing to you and everyone who sees you, everyone who's inspired by it, everyone who also dedicates themselves to God. Thessalonica, as, as, as I've said, 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10, you've dedicated yourself to God and to Christ Jesus, who does what? He rescues us from the coming wrath. There you go. That's a blessing for you. 
because of Thessalonica's faith, they can have confidence that they are, uh, the, uh, what is it, verses 4 and 5, they are chosen by God, they are loved by God. Verse 10, Jesus is going to rescue them from the coming wrath. That's what true faith does. It starts with Jesus. It starts from Jesus and what he said. It grows in you. It's noticeable by everyone else. You're always grounded in God. You get through trials just fine, and even even you come out way better than you were before because your faith just thrives in that, and you are blessed because of everything that God has given you. Sorry this episode's so long, but I think that was worth saying. And so, <laughs> for what you will, there you go. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Hope there's something there for you to think about. There's definitely something there. I, I Hopefully I've displayed it well enough for you to be able to consider it. Thank you for sticking with me through, what is it? It's, uh, it's almost 50 minutes long now. I'll cut it off right before it gets to the 50-minute mark. But, yeah. Thank you for embarking on this journey for, through 1 Thessalonians with me. And we will see where it goes from here. There's so much more that could be said. There's so much more that could be elaborated on, but we won't do it. And hopefully as we go through, uh, as we go forward, uh, chapters two through five break down into some smaller paragraphs. And so theoretically each episode will be a bit shorter than this, uh, the 20, 25, maybe 30 minutes if I need to, uh, not 50 minutes, hopefully not, but we will see. And I appreciate that you stuck through this for this long anyway. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you benefited. God bless. And I'll see you on the next episode of Biblical Breadcrumbs.